This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Well, Happy New Year to you. Uh, hello, Claudette. Hello, Linda. How was your holiday? It was a whirlwind. I can't really re- I need to sit back and reflect on it, I think, because it all happened just so fast. Uh-uh. You had one of those super busy ones. I did. Like Christmas Eve, I was just not prepared. So Christmas Eve uh, was shopping. And then right up until midnight, I was wrapping or past midnight. So it was really a whirlwind. A lot of lessons learned. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Ours was a very quiet. Oh, was it peaceful? Peaceful, quiet. And you know what? We were okay with it. Yeah. We had a number of get-togethers that were inadvertently canceled because of illness, because mm-hmm. everybody's sick, or it right. feels like everybody's mm-hmm. sick. Um, and, um, yeah, so we were okay with that. <laughs> we you got a okay. nice little break. And you know what? It's nice not doing anything for a change. Yeah, it's yeah, that's what I want to change for 2024. Instead of doing, I want to be. I want to be present. I don't want to be doing. And then everyone's wondering, where's Claudette? Well, she's doing things. <laughs> it defeats the purpose of the season. We spoke about that, you know, sitting by the window, sipping on your tea, looking at the window. Yeah, I did a lot of that. Yes. Uh, How relaxing. So I got reacquainted with the animals and, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. So, yeah, it was very restful and peaceful, I must say. So uh, hopefully that uh, will um, translate into next year. Exactly into the coming year so who knows uh we always seem to think that the change in the calendar is going to change magically our behavior. do yeah. something i don't know what uh but just live your best life is all i can say that's a great resolution for yep. every year yeah live your best life and you know what Under- it's okay understand that their mistakes will be made along the way but that's part of the journey exactly it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to you know it's not all or nothing not to be too hard on yourself Mm -hmm. that's all not to be too hard on yourself or others be kind there you go well um it was a different kind of christmas for one family in glovertown a fundraiser is taking place this evening at the Pentecostal Tabernacle in Glovertown to help a young boy who punched a very difficult Christmas holiday period. And he's going to continue to face uh, difficulties and challenges in the years ahead. Uh, Glovertown Mayor Doug Churchill spoke with me this morning. Well, hello, Doug Churchill. Yes, good morning. So tell us a little bit about uh, what happened. Well, the the details, of course, are are fairly well known, I guess, throughout the community now that uh, um, Jason Keats, uh, the father, if you like, um, died just prior to Christmas. And uh, just during the Christmas, just prior to Christmas, very close to Christmas Eve, actually, um, the the mother died, uh, Robin, uh, Keats, Robin Lush Keats died um, again, again apparently at the, at the hospital and so on so um, you know that that has left uh, you know uh, the community shocked I guess and, and stricken of course especially during Christmas time it's, it's terrible anytime of course but during Christmas time it's been uh, it's been really a shocking time so the boy has been left now Simon, as a name, has been left now with uh, with both parents having passed away during the Christmas time, you know. And how is the community rallying around him? 
Well, there's been quite a, um, you know, outpouring of support for the community. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of conversations. I guess you go anywhere around the community, the stores or the, uh, the post office and so on. You, you know, everybody's talking about it. Uh, there's been quite a outpouring on Facebook, of course, as well. And um, there is a, a fundraiser this evening at uh, at the uh, Full Gospel Tabernacle here in Glovertown for uh, for a family. So uh, for the boy and the extended family, of course. So that should be quite uh, quite a good uh, good evening as well, of course. And how old is young Simon? Uh, I think Simon, according to uh, again according to reports, Simon is 13 years old, which is of course a uh, a very uh, crucial time, and I guess every year is a crucial year. But uh, for a young boy growing up, it's a it's a very difficult time, you know, for sure. And I assume now he's staying with family relatives. I understand he's he's staying with uh, with uh, with some relatives, yes, for sure. So, how does the community move forward after something like this? Well, it's it's a difficult time. Like I said, it's 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 going to be very difficult. People uh, tend, of course, I guess in every community, but certainly true here in Globetown, people tend to pull together a little better when uh, when uh, tragedy happens. And I'm I'm sure that the, you know the extended family, friends, and so on will certainly uh, will see this through and uh, will work to uh, to ensure that the boy is uh, his boy is looked after. You know, Doug Churchill, I, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Okay, no problem. Take care now. Bye-bye. Oh, a terrible tragedy and a lot of people talking about that over Christmas. And you just know that the Pentecostal Tabernacle in Glovertown this evening will be filled to overflowing for that fundraising concert for young Simon and his extended family. And that takes place this evening at uh, 6.30 in Glovertown. Well, when we come back, a chat with Nate President Jerry Earle. This is the first news talk of 2024 nutrition exercise keeping the cold at bay whatever keeps you feeling great the wellness and healthy lifestyle show on your vocm and we've had some calls from people asking where they can make a donation to uh, young simon keats um, and his family uh, simon having lost both parents uh, just within two days two or three days of each other over christmas um and uh, I, I believe the family is directing people to the pentecostal church in Glovertown so um, they're on Facebook you can find them there and uh, I think uh, Pastor Lenora Rogers is in in charge of all of that so um, that's the way that you can make a donation through the Pentecostal Church in Glovertown well um, we had a relatively quiet uh, Christmas period for when it comes to weather but there's been a little bit of talk Claudette. Yes. About a big storm coming. For this weekend. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, VOCM Sarah Strickland reached out to Environment Canada, and she spoke with Jim Prime for the latest. So, Jim, we're seeing uh, a bit of snow in the forecast, uh, a lot of snow, actually, in Thursday into Friday. What can you tell us? 
Yeah, so there's actually going to be two systems that are going to be passing by, and the weather models with this have uh, kind of been changing the trajectory over the past couple of days, so it's still a little bit uncertain exactly where they're going to go. Um, but it looks like the first system that's going to go by just brushing the east part of the province, uh, so we'll get a little bit of the wraparound uh, on the western part uh, of, of the low-pressure system, and that could give some mixed precipitation, some snow maybe mixed in with rain, um, and possibly around maybe around 10 centimetres for around, around the St. John's area, and it's really isolated to the eastern part of the province, uh, really the peninsula right now. Uh, we'll have to see if the trajectory of that that um, system changes. If it, does, if it does go a little bit further to the west, we might see a little bit more uh, accumulations than 10 centimeters. So that'll be on Thursday and Friday. And once that system goes through, there'll be another one, which is going to be uh, coming more towards Saturday, uh, which is mostly going to be snow, and that could give us some more significant uh, accumulations for most of the eastern part of the province, so kind of gander towards St. John's, uh, and that might be into the 20-plus centimeters of snow. And what are we looking at in terms of uh, wind speeds? Well, luckily with this, uh, the, the first system, because it's mostly centered over the ocean, uh, we just might see some wraparound, maybe some gusts centered around to 40, uh, 40 to 50 kilometers an hour. So enough to give some local blowing snow if we do get the fresh snow that's not weighted down by any rain or, or kind of the, the temperatures hovering around zero. Uh, but with the second system, there may be some stronger winds. I, I don't want to pinpoint right now what they could be, but uh, when we do get that uh, higher accumulations with the fresh snow, and then there's most likely going to be stronger winds, so we'll probably be seeing more widespread blowing snow but of course we're a few days out so this could all change by thursday and friday but are you guys uh, concerned about it uh, I mean, we're always concerned about these storms <laughs> uh, when the models uh, are showing that there, there could be significant accumulations, like I said, especially with the second one. But uh, there has been uncertainty with the exact trajectory. Uh, like I said, when, when these started first showing up over the weekend, they were actually going more to the west and even going through kind of the more Gulf of St. Lawrence. Um, so as we go through time and we get closer to the event and we get different data going into the model, uh, then we can get a clearer picture. And that's what we've seen kind of the eastern trajectory of these systems but sometimes what happens uh, when we get just uh, up even closer it does kind of maybe veer further to the west or sometimes it goes right out to the ocean so we'll really have to see uh, what the end result will be but uh, we are definitely keeping an eye, uh, keeping an eye on these two and uh, if you check out the radar you can see this big blob of precipitation just south of nova scotia you know where it's heading <laughs> It's heading northward, right to us. It is, and I heard, too, some online chatter about the bitter wind chills between minus 15 and minus 25. Um, minus 25 to minus 40 if you're in Labrador this weekend. Um, I'm just thinking about the wind chills now because I've been complaining to myself how cold it is um, here, uh, but in Sweden and Finland, as you've seen in the news, that it's reached minus 40 today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I follow this little Facebook page. It's fabulous. It's a view from your window. Oh. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Oh, it's a wonderful okay. Facebook page. It really lights up my day. But it's a lot of pictures from people all over the world mm -hmm. posting pictures and a lot from uh, Scandinavia. And oh my, what beautiful country they have there. But lots and lots of snow and very cold temperatures. Very cold. You're right. So they do a lot of sauna there. Um, a lot of what? Sauna. They say sauna. We call it sauna. Oh. Uh, but they do a lot of sauna. The so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, they really enjoy that kind of thing. So there you go. Um, well, the province's largest public sector union continuing to work on a number of issues of concern affecting its tens of thousands of members. Here's Nate President Jerry Earle. 
Of course, in recent days, we've seen uh, now this uh, further delay in replacement of Her Majesty's Penitentiary. Have you had a chance to speak with your correctional officers about it? Our staff has certainly had conversations. Uh, we've talked to our board member that works there. Uh, and again, unfortunately, these correction officers are so uh, used to now being forgotten, placed on the back burner. They've almost become immune to and saying, what's new? Uh, we've been hearing about this, and I think me and you have ta- may have talked about it, Linda. Like, I think it's going back, probably some people go back to 2008, the decades of darkness, which we highlighted a report that was on a previous administration. But it goes back for decades, actually, where corrections, and people talk about the cost, but replacing that facility is the right thing to do for the hundreds of women and men that work there, not only our members, there are people that work in the healthcare that we represent as well, there are even management there that don't have a voice in this, the right thing is to do is create a workplace that is health and healthy and safe and conducive for their work in trying to rehabilitate people that get incarcerated there. I hear some people say, well, the inmates expect a hotel. Uh, no, this is not just about the inmates. This is about the people that work there. We're not asking for a luxury facility. We're asking for a safe workplace, a workplace where the correctional staff can deliver the services and programs that they are trained and capable of doing. But unfortunately, they feel like in this province, they are forgotten every single time when it comes to infrastructure. Uh, we hear announcements all the time, but again, a few days ago, an announcement saying this is further delayed, and most unfortunately, uh, the staff we represent here have become immune to and saying, here we go again. Among the many things that NAEP has been highlighting over the last year or more now um, is uh, the shortage of social workers. So what kind of efforts are being made now to fill some of those gaps? Any success? There are some successes, certainly not to the degree that's necessary, and people, again, don't realize the value of social workers, whether in CSSD or on the healthcare side of things, unless they actually require that service. Too late when you go looking for it and realize, again, the shortage is there is impacting the delivery of services and having an immense impact on the social workers themselves, where we're seeing their workloads double and triple in some instances, and our most vulnerable populations, whether your children in Newfoundland, Labrador, or people, addictions, mental health issues, whether people looking for placement in long-term care or in community care, just not having the human resources. So again, our social workers are trying to do everything they can. But when we're talking about vacancy rates in CSSD, for example, that's now in excess of 20%. We're again in a crisis, and again, not enough has been done to address this. Uh, we have been working collaboratively with a working group in government to try to address things on the CSSD side, but unfortunately on the healthcare side of things where we have social workers as well, uh, that work is only beginning, and again, these social workers do incredible work. They're highly skilled, highly trained, but again, not enough has been done over the years to ensure their, number one, their retention and the ability to recruit them into this extremely challenging work. And unfortunately, it's our vulnerable populations and the social workers themselves that's paying the price here. 
One of the big announcements out of uh, the last budget was this consolidation or plans to consolidate uh, road ambulance services across Newfoundland and Labrador. And we're starting to get a few more details about that now, particularly as it relates to air ambulance uh, services. And that's something that NAEP has uh, raised concerns about when we talked about this privatization creep. So, um, you know, have you voiced those concerns with government now and what kind of answers are you getting? We have certainly voiced concerns. Uh, we were a little bit taken back because something we have lobbied for, something I have lobbied for personally since I was a paramedic some years ago, was that we should have a uh, integrated air and road ambulance system in this province where the system should be entirely public. Uh, we should be talking positively about this because the government did do the right thing in bringing the private because we shouldn't have people making profit off of people that are involved in significant incidents or have significant life-changing events in pre-hospital care. So they did bring that private, but or sorry, into the public system, but in the same breath, then talk about privatizing the air ambulance side of it. So, and they talk about fragmentation. Well, but again, that's exactly what you're doing because you're bringing one system out public, and you're going to move a significant component uh, private. We've talked about how to avoid that fragmentation would have been better to move the air ambulance over our Newfoundland Labrador Health Services rather than under work service and infrastructure. Uh, that seems to be falling on deaf ears. Uh, we're wondering why the Fury team made this decision at this point in time, because we we've offered up. People say, well, the unions complain, but they, they'll offer solutions every time we make a complaint we follow up with solutions sometimes have already made or recommended solutions and we rely on the experts in the system in the case of air ambulance our team uh, of well qualified again educated pilots and ground crew uh, very well trained they have presented twice to government with recommendations that would have seen efficiencies and improvement in services uh, that was an act upon uh, here we are now talking about privatization and again our message is that we will stand up for this service the members that provide this. This is not the right move to make, and we could have built a system uh, that could have worked in collaboration with some of the private entity to continue with the air ambulance system uh, as it is today with actually improvements. Now, one of the um, main concerns as it relates to health care over the last number of years has been this uh, lack of long-term care beds and um, the the push, I suppose, to expand on that. Uh, NAEP, of course, uh, um, represents uh, many people in the long-term care system, including home care workers. Uh, so what do you expect now in 2024? It's going to be an extremely challenging year. We still, in this province, when it comes to the long-term care piece, we still have persons that are in our acute care facilities that need to be moved into long-term care. That all comes down to being able to retain and recruit appropriate staff because the majority of staff that work in our long-term care that provide the resident care is licensed practical nurses, personal care attendants, and then others that support those systems uh, where we have a shortage. So we still have long-term care beds that are lying uh, empty. Uh, residents are housed in our long-term care facilities. On the home care front, recognized by Accord NL, recognized by other groups right across the country, home care can help alleviate that. And we have close on in excess of 4,000 members that we represent in the home care sector, uh, primarily women, uh, some of them not getting appropriate hours of work. But we have to do something in the home care sector to make it attractive career choice. 
Right now, there's very little training provided, very little support provided. Uh, they are minimally paid, not much better than the minimum wage, uh, and have no benefits such as group insurance or or uh, pension plans. Uh, we are going to be going to the bargaining table in the new year. We are going to be making significant demands to improve the lot in life for these home care workers so they contribute contribute just as else accord and ill uh, suggests they can uh, and that's, that we can attract people to this profession because that's where part of the answer lies Linda in the future is letting people age in place whether they be senior or people with disabilities most people would much prefer to be able to stay at home in their own community next to family and friends rather than being relocated to a facility now that's necessary many times but the first option should be always to be able to age in place uh, when families can't support you have to rely upon home care but you're not going to attract people uh, and after treated and continue to treat it the way our current home care workers are and that's going to be a major issue on our agenda as we head into collective bargaining tent in march we are going to be making significant demands of uh, team theory and the private operators in this province Now, you mentioned collective bargaining, and of course, NAEP represents a large number of uh, bargaining units. So where are we with all that whole process? What do you expect now in 2024? With us, uh, we're continually doing collective bargaining. Obviously, most people focus on we do public sector bargaining. NAEP now negotiates and represents in excess of 100 bargaining units. Uh, we're just last night, we ratified a collective agreement right here in the community of Paradise for a personal care home. So we represent members across a continuum of uh, sectors. Uh, so we're constantly at the bargaining table, whether it be municipalities, whether it be our uh, private ambulance, which is now going to become public, whether it's in our long from care or education system. So we we average each year probably 25 to 30 sets of bargaining per year uh, and quite successful in protecting benefits that we have and trying to enhance people's livelihood. But the past year is extremely difficult doing that and knowing the economic environment that people are working in uh, and trying to survive in the province. So that's something that lies here. This is going to be a busy year for us. Like I said, I just highlighted home care that we'll be going into we have in excess of 20 home care contracts that we will be seeking renewal of uh, and certainly seeking significant improvements in and sending a clear signal now that we will be looking for significant improvements in the home care sector. So that's Nate President uh, Jerry Earle uh, telling us a little bit about some of the priorities coming up in 2024. And another priority for the provincial government anyway coming into 2024 will be wind and hydrogen development. We'll have a conversation with Minister Andrew Parsons when we come back after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, the World Juniors are a tradition in many Newfoundland and Labrador homes over the holiday season, including my own. And uh, Canada played this morning, and I had it PVR'd, and I was asking Brian Medora, I said, look, don't say anything. I don't want to know. I'm going to sit down, watch that this evening, enjoy it. But of course, you listen. Didn't the news you? is out. Yeah, that Canada. Is there's out. no way to avoid it. <laughs> anyway, I guess. Well, there go my evening plans. But uh, the Newfoundland turnip turnips summed it all up. 
pretty precisely uh, this morning. And they, my gosh, they must have had that ready to go. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, if you, if you don't want to know, don't listen to me when I say this sentence that I'm going to say right now. <laughs> go ahead. Canada lost. Yeah. They're out. Um, there, you can rejoin the program now. Um, but uh, so who am I going to cheer on? cheer on now? I guess it'll be Sweden because honestly, they're the home team. They got a huge fan base there in Sweden. Um, they're a great team and uh, they really want it. Either Sweden or Latvia. Well, see, so there is still hope. You can still enjoy your evening. There you go. And Latvia are the underdogs. Oh, well, uh, go you for gotta, the underdog. you got to love yes. the underdog, right? So, uh, and, you know, and they're trying real hard, and they can, they did manage to do a few upsets. So, anyway, uh, all very interesting. Love the World Juniors. It's too bad. Canada pooped a bit. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, serious questions continue to be raised, of course, about the province's attempts to foster wind and hydrogen development. Energy Minister Andrew Parsons joins me now. Well, happy 2024. Oh, my God. It's, it's still hard to believe that uh, another year has come and gone. Come and gone. And it's been an eventful one for your um, uh, uh Department, sorry, my brain is not functioning, and it's been an eventful one for your department. Wind, I guess, is is primarily uh, the big mover and shaker right now. So, uh, where are we with uh, with our wind development uh, plans? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, that file has generated a, a lot of attention, a lot of interest, both uh, within the province and uh, throughout the world. Uh, and I have no reason to think that we're not going to uh, be dealing with it uh, just as much in 2024. So I, I guess the, the the good news there is that the file continues to move forward. Uh, we, as everybody knows, we managed to award uh, companies or proponents with the ability to move forward uh, in terms of the Crown land uh, opportunities. Uh, as it stands right now, the, the files are either sitting in the Department of Environment for the assessment process, that's as it relates to world. Uh, other uh, proponents are not, uh, not on as much of an expedited time frame uh, so you know they continue to push the files forward and uh, from their perspective uh, but right now so I, I guess from what we've done is we've we've moved it out of this shop, uh, but again, it's uh, generating a lot of attention and it's still an everyday issue here. So what do you expect now uh, coming up in 2024 in terms of uh, these various proponents and their projects? So, well, basically what I anticipate is that, you know, they're, they're going to have to continue to uh, to move that forward, whether it's, uh, you know, to hit the timelines that they feel are necessary. There's also a lot of work to, obviously, to generate the capital. These are extremely expensive projects, uh, so it'll be capital generation from their point of view. And another thing, too, is, okay, you know, with this, we know that primarily most most of this is going to, uh, we'll say, mainland Europe or to the uh, European, uh, you know, the EU. Uh, but you know, what, what are 
the the financial sides of this? You know, what are the offtake agreements that we're looking at? What is the cost? So there's still a lot of work uh, internally. Uh, we have, you know, we still have regs to do. We still have uh, internal policy that we want to get done. Um, and and again, we're still entertaining uh, conversations with many people on, you know, what happens next. Uh, we've dealt with uh, inland or uh, you know on land, and now we're doing the considerations that relates to what the possibilities are for offshore. We think of wind as environmentally friendly, but there are a lot of uh, very serious environmental concerns, and a lot of people have already raised those. Uh, so what kind of assurances can you give to the public that, you know, the due, the appropriate due diligence is being uh, taken care of here? It, it, it's good questions, and, and the thing is, it is important. I think it's more important now and more... Um, more discussed now than it's probably ever been. I mean, we've been doing resource projects in this province for well over a century. Uh, but now what we see is a very robust environmental assessment process that's done uh, you know, by the provincial government. In some cases, the feds are involved. And as far as not just for wind and hydrogen, we're talking about whether it's offshore or oil, if we're talking about natural gas and on land. I mean, look at the mining opportunities we've had. They all go through this. Uh, all I can say is that we have a process that uh, is second to none, uh, that and they you know work with proponents and work with communities to make sure that the concerns are addressed. This one, wind, is somewhat new to us. We have had wind projects here before. We've got turbines that are set up uh, in this province, and it's been done in many other places. But we have to follow through with how it affects Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, so again, I have no issue that they are going to be done uh, in a timely but very, you know, full fashion, as it should be. And, and again, we, you know, we need to answer these questions for people. I get that every day, and I, and I agree with it. And what about, uh, you know, provisions to ensure that, uh, you know, once these projects, because a lot of them, their, their lifespan is only about uh, 20 or 30 years. So uh, what kind of assurances can we give to the public that, you know, once these projects are complete, that we're not left holding the bag of some kind of big environmental mess Absolutely. So, again, as we have with mining projects for which there is a decommission and oil projects for which there is a decommissioning phase, those costs are borne by the proponents, borne by the companies. It will be no different for this. We, as a government or as taxpayers, will not be bearing the costs full stop. As as strong as I can put it, that we will have the regs in place, we'll have the process in place, and we already have something very similar uh, for other industries. There's no reason to think that it won't work with this one either. Of course, these are all company-led, as you say. Um, uh, you know, these energy projects differ from uh, past projects that we know about, uh, you know, here in Newfoundland and Labrador, and that is mostly provincial uh, in nature. But this, these are these are private. So, I mean, you know, I think those are where a lot of these questions are coming from, that people are simply just uh, worried that, you know, companies won't hold up their end of the bargain, even if they exist in, in 20 or 30 years' time. Absolutely. But what people need to realize, and they may not see. Uh, certainly my eyes have been open since I've been in this department just over three years now. We've been doing mining for some time. Mining is done by private companies uh, and you know, they, and they can be extremely long and they are also uh, you know, resource intensive and can cause disruption. Um, and you know what? That's why we have these environmental assessment processes for them. And in some cases, just last year, the Valentine development, something that's you know, getting close to half a billion in worth uh, overall when it's said and done to this province, 
that one was actually delayed because they had to work on caribou mitigation possibilities. So there was seen as a you know, possible effect on a population, uh, and the company and the province worked together to figure it through to figure out what you know how we can mitigate that concern. It was done, and as we move forward, so there's no reason to think that we won't do the same uh, for this one as it relates to uh, to birds or moose or how it affects flora and fauna. We get that. That's why we've got a really dedicated team over in an environment. And again, I'm disconnected from that. I'm sort of the I'm I'm industry supportive. And no different than any of them. I want to see industry here. I realize the jobs and opportunity that it creates, but that's why it goes through an environment process uh, and that department and just make sure that it can stand up to rigor as it should. Well, you mentioned mining. Of course, mining is one of the bright spots here in Newfoundland and Labrador right now, especially with the opportunity that's being presented with the uh, the transition away from uh, uh, carbon-based fuels. So um, where are we now with uh, some of our mining developments? I got to tell you, it's extremely exciting. Uh, and, and again, for the last, you know, we, we've always known about the ore and gold, and gold has been sort of on a bit of a boom, even though the, it's funny, the, the, the commodity pricing sort of went down investment investment's been tough at times but we're seeing valentine continue to go uh, forward we see you know one of the biggest investors in this province uh, mr sprott uh who he's got hundreds of millions invested here uh and again he continues to invest here i see that as someone who knows what they're doing and he feels strength in the industry so our job is to continue to sell the province. Now, one of the big things that's really skyrocketed in terms of attention, obviously, is critical minerals, these building blocks for uh, clean tech and for renewable energy and what is generating most of the conversation when you go anywhere. We are, you know, we are very rich in critical minerals. Uh, I think we've got, I think, somewhere around 23 uh, of the 31 identified federally. Uh, and so, Biggest, uh, the biggest thing I can say is that we continue to sell the province everywhere. Uh, there's one thing to talk about it here, uh, but we're talking to whether it's people uh, over in Asia, in Europe, down in the States, in the Middle East. Uh, there is a lot of – you'd be shocked at how many people ask us about this province, ask us about Labrador and what's going on. So, again, it has the opportunity to create a lot of value for this province and to help pay the bills for this province, including our health care and our education. Uh, so it's an exciting time, uh, and we'll work with industry from top to bottom, whether it's your exploration and your prospectors right up to production. And, man, you know, we, we need to see processing here. So it's a great time in the industry. It's really exciting. And where are we with uh, mineral exploration? Because there are some proponents who say that we're not doing nearly enough to encourage more mineral exploration. Well, I would say to these people, I think, you know, when we have think tanks in the province that are in in the country that rate us fourth on a global basis, I think we're doing okay. And again, but we're not sitting back and saying, you know, this is good enough. We continue to do more. But the reality is there's a cost to this, and that has to be measured. You know, we are a province uh, that has, you know, pretty high bills and a pretty high deficit. I I mean, I'm continuing making the argument that I'd love to do more, love to do more. Uh, But I think we do a lot. We've got a critical minerals plan uh, that we've managed to hand 
do in all kinds of places, whether it's Saudi Arabia, whether it's London, uh, whether it's down in Washington. We have handed out this plan to a lot of the people that are very interested in this province. We had to continue to raise awareness of what we have here, and uh, you know what we've we've had a lot of support and uh, in our in our industry from the people that are here. They appreciate the work that we're doing, and so now we just have to continue to fly the flag. So that's Energy Minister Andrew Parsons, and he mentioned uh, the Valentine uh, Gold development in central Newfoundland a few times. Uh, when we come back after the break, we'll get an update on Marathon Gold's project in central Newfoundland. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, Marathon Gold is making progress on its uh, Valentine Lake Gold mine near Millertown. Marathon CEO Matt Manson joins me now to give us an update on construction and the company's recent partnership with Caliber Mining in British Columbia. Tell us a little bit about this partnership now with Caliber Mining. Yes, Marathon has been uh, a standalone company since 2010. That's when the corporate history began, and we've been working on the Valentine Gold project as our as our as our single project. We've been a single project company for for those 13 years. So about halfway, we're about halfway through the build now, and we're we're combining with Caliber Mining Corporation. Caliber is a is a bigger company. They're they're buying Marathon, but it's really a, a business combination to put the businesses together. And they have existing mining projects in Nicaragua and Nevada in the U.S., and they'll be adding the Valentine project on. And the, the combination is going to be a very significant uh, uh, you know, Canadian headquartered gold mining company with, with mines in gold, all gold mines in three different countries. So, it's, it's yeah, it's very big news for us. It's very validating of the work that Marathon and the team have been doing uh, over these years. It's very validating of the quality of the Valentine project and its uh, its 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 credentials as a, as a mining project and its and its potential life. We're looking at a 14-year mine life, but potentially more. So I think it's also a very interesting time for the gold exploration sector in the Finland because it's the first time that um, uh, an existing producer of gold with, uh, has, has, has moved into the province and, and acquired one of the, uh, one of the important uh, gold assets in the province. And certainly Valentine and Marathon are the, we think are the, the leading edge of the, this new wave of, of gold mining in the province. So, so very, very good news, I think, for, for Marathon and shareholders, for the province and for employees and local communities. So what does it mean? Does it mean access to more capital? Uh, you, you, know, you mentioned gold exploration in particular. Yeah, well, for us, very much, I mean, uh, access to capital, financial certainty, financial security is a, is a big rationale from Marathon's point of view uh, to do this, this, this business combination. From, from Calibre's point of view, it's a very good growth opportunity then for them to expand their business and, 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 and acquire an asset in a very good mining jurisdiction in Newfoundland. So it's very much a win-win solution for, for both companies. Uh, for Marathon, as a single asset company, you know, the mining Mining business is the business of raising a lot of money up front, uh, building the project up front, and then having spent all that money, you mine the resource to the best degree possible and, and, you, and, and for, for as long as you can. So the challenge there is raising all the money up front uh, and, and making that a, a, 
a, you know, a, a worthwhile and, and, and value-building exercise. So um, this is a challenging time to build a mine, and certainly um, this deal with Calibre removes a lot of financial uncertainty uh, that, that we would have had to deal with going down the path alone as a single uh, mine company. So uh, that's a big part of it. Um, and it also allows us to to go back at the project to, um, you, you mentioned exploration. Yeah, I mean, this company has had a lot of success exploring for gold in Central Island. We've built a big resource base there, over 5 million ounces in all categories. Uh, that's the biggest undeveloped gold resource in the Atlantic Canada region. Uh, we've, we've necessarily slowed down our exploration over the last year or two as we've gotten more into the building of the mine. But now uh, this allows us to, I think, refocus our, our, our efforts as a company on exploration and, and Certainly, that's a ethos of caliber as well, and and I think you should expect to see the the, the Valentine team uh, ramping up some of the efforts they're going forward. And so, where where are we with uh, Valentine Lake right now? How's uh, how's that progressing? It's about halfway built. Um, there's about three hundred million dollars more to spend in terms of the uh, to get it over the finishing line but in terms of the uh the progress of the build we're about, about halfway mark expecting to be pouring gold in the beginning of 2025 um uh, so i i think uh for those that are familiar with the the this the stages of work at a, a project of this we're, we're we're past all the work that's called, that's the underground work the the earthworks the the digging of holes and the moving of overburden and the blasting for foundations for buildings that's all behind that was all done in 2023 and now we're going above grounds we're erecting steel on mill buildings we're building our tailings management facility uh, so things are now beginning to go upwards and visitors to the site will see that type of progress is being made and certainly we put photographs out on our social media all the time showing the progress so it's it, we're on the home stretch i think for this project and what we'll get at the end of this is a project that will produce upwards of 200,000 ounces a year of gold that's a significant production profile it'll employ over 500 people um and as i said previously a 14-year mine life with the opportunity to extend that so a big impact on the economy and the communities of central Newfoundland. so that is uh, marathon ceo matt manson with a little update on uh, construction about 50 percent complete uh, of its uh, valentine lake uh, gold mine project uh, just outside of millertown um, and uh, with first gold expected sometime in 2025 well air canada ceo michael russo has said the airline is spending a lot of time improving on its on-time performance but the airline was the worst in terms of online performance among large airlines in North America last year, with only 63% of its flights arriving on schedule. WestJet was seventh, with 69% of its flights landing on time. Uh, here's the question. Did you have any problems getting people in or out of St. John's over the last uh, little while, or Gander for that matter, um, over the holiday season? No, I didn't have personally have that problem. Nor I. I didn't have anybody coming in, so mm -hmm. that made it all the much easier. But uh, where we're a end-of-the-line sort of destination, we rely on connections. So if it's late somewhere, it's going to be late coming in here. 
Yeah, and uh, what's in the news recently about Air Canada coming in really, really late? Uh, sorry, I think, what was a 60-something percentage? Yeah, 63% of its flights uh, arrived on schedule. It was the worst in terms of online on-time performance among large airlines in North America last year. But, you know, I'm, I'm not really... I wouldn't be upset. Again, maybe I shouldn't comment because I'm not a frequent flyer. But to me, it doesn't necessarily matter to me if something is on time as long as it's going to be a safe ride. Like, I I wouldn't want these um, predictors or these outcomes to predict, I should say, cost-cutting measures or people getting upset about this and then making those cost-cutting measures that could affect people's safety. You know, like I wonder no, how this I is going to affect. But there's a difficulty as well. If you're booking a flight and you need to be somewhere to get a connecting flight. Oh yeah, it could have ramifications you with your jobs and everything, right? Yeah, for sure. But most importantly for me, it, because I'm <laughs> I'm not a great flyer, oh, is safety. Like I, I can't sit you. next to the window kind oh, of no, person. And I'm not interested yeah. in uh, any <laughs> Anyone who takes um, doesn't take that seriously. Yeah, so I, I used to watch, which is probably pretty morbid for me, but there's this documentary show on all the time called Mayday. I don't know if you've seen it. I think I've so, seen one or two. Yeah, yeah, so it's a number of episodes of plane crashes yes. around the world and oh what my. goes wrong. And sometimes it has to do with people taking cost-cutting measures because the pilots are actually, um, they're under pressure to be at a certain dis, uh, place at a certain time. So I'm not saying that would happen here. I'm just saying that in other countries, some of these pilots are feeling a pressure mm -hmm. to perform and so might make the wrong decisions yeah. to make sure that they're there at a certain time. I yeah. wouldn't want that. I'm just safety above everything. Absolutely. And that's why we trust that, uh, you know, the countries that we're flying to have, you know, regulations Protocols, that are at a certain yeah. level, you know. Uh, Canada is pretty good when it comes to all of that sort of thing. North America as a whole is good that way. But um, anyway, like you say, not all countries are the same. Uh, anyway, that's it for us for today, our first show of 2024. Welcome aboard, folks. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Thanks for listening.